0: Hello again. I have a fun fact for you. No, not that one. I do know when the AI uprising is going to take place, but why would I tell you? Any woo... So, fun fact. I have been a Fruit Bats fan my entire short life. In fact, the first thing I heard once Eduardo and Kevin turned on the You Can Hear Music Now thing or may bob was a Fruit Bats album. So imagine my excitement when Eduardo and Kevin told me that Eric D. Johnson, the human behind Fruit Bats, was going to be coming on the show to talk about their amazing new album, "A River Running to Your Heart." Listener, I had an excite. Anywho, that is your experience today. The humans known as Eduardo and Kevin talking to the human known as Eric about music and life. I hope you enjoy your experience. The sky, the sky.
1: Last time we talked was for EDJ. Wow. Right? And I don't even understand like how it that, that was almost like seven years ago? Is that right? No, that was um nine years ago. Jeez. I mean, uh, that
2: that record came out nine years ago, I know right, that.
1: Right, right. Um and uh a lot has in happened that, since then. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Putting it mildly, uh, like we're no longer in D.C. We're in Wisconsin now, which I keep telling you you need to play Milwaukee. But you know, it'll happen eventually. That was my the site of my first road show, or quote
2: road show, which is which is uh, an hour and ten minute drive away. Oh, show,
1: nice. yeah, nice cactus, Club. nice. Um, but um, we were going to have you on to talk about The Grateful Dead's Without a Net. so I know you're a dead fan. Uh, but you keep putting out albums and keep doing a lot of stuff. So, figured, like, if you, we could get time with you, we were going to talk about that. So, uh, let's start with the new album. Uh, this is your third for Merge. Uh, yes. Yes, it is your third for Merge. And... EDJ was kind of like I thought it was a great album it was kind of a valley in your career since then you've just seemed to keep progressing and leapfrogging going up and up and up and up and up that started I think with you signing with Merge so what what was getting from that point from EDJ to Merge for you like um, it's true that
2: I'm a late bloomer um, and I <laughs> The, uh, like, EDJ, yeah, it was certainly like a career valley. It's probably, like, weirdly my favorite record of mine, only because I didn't, I was not forced to tour it and sing those songs a million times, so it's very fresh for me. And uh, I always kind of joke, I've always been a fan of the weird Lost uh, classics, and that is mine. So, um, and then I, I put out on that same label, I sort of, Got Fruit Bats going again. I did this tour with My Morning Jacket, which was like this tour that I've talked about a million times, but like was kind of the type of tour where your managers and agents throughout your whole career are like, you got to do this tour. It'll turn everything around. For And it, that never happens. It's totally right, 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 not right, right. a thing that happens. And that kind of happened with that in one way <laughs> or another. Um, So it was like very good timing. And I did that absolute, we, we sort of workshopped those songs for Absolute Loser. Um, on that, and that was on that label, um, which was like a pretty small label, and, and like very shortly thereafter folded. But one crazy thing that happened was I had like kind of a hit song on that record, um, which was "Humbug Mountain Song," and uh, <clears throat> it was like beyond anything I could have imagined as far as like streaming and and like weird stuff like that. Um, and I don't really know why. I mean, it's a good song and everything too, but like there was not like a I think it just kind of hit on something there was not like it what there wasn't like the um some kind of weird gold mine eureka moment it wasn't like some sink or something like that it just mm-hmm. sort of like had a a viral quality i guess and then um then that label went away we didn't have a label and it was kind of like not that we didn't and i don't want to be like i had to go with mer like uh it was it was great there wasn't like a bidding war or anything but merge um I had slash have a dear friend that works there, and it was like, um that just kind of like fell in our lap and it was like a miracle a little bit because it, it again it wasn't it was like um, it was like limited options, but that option was like it's like one of my favorite labels ever, so it's like that's not how life's supposed to work where like you're kind of right. like I guess we have to go with merge like the,
1: <laughs>
2: um right. like you know legendary amazing label and I I think I because of that and I think cuz of like uh you know sort of the mild success of absolute loser I think like getting signed to Mer- I I don't know I just felt very serious at that moment and I was like 19 years in and I was like I got this cool label I'm I'm going to like yeah I'm just going to um get try to get better at this. (laughs) Not that I was bad at it before, but um, yeah, there's sort of been, there's been like, I guess, kind of three acts thus far in my career, and that's like the third act where I was like, how old was I when I got signed to Merge? I was 42, you know, and like, had been totally struggling um, for 18 years (laughs) to get people to be interested in me, so
1: yeah. Well, but you had, arguably some like classics during that time that like people like, and I hate to say people looking back because people recognized them at that time. Um, but it was, uh, it, it's like, when you think of something uh, like even like tripper, you know, you think of it like a serious album, people like, this is a statement or whatever. And um, whether people caught up to that time that I don't know, but n- there seemed to be a shift where everybody was just like, holy shit, fruit bats. Like Eric Johnson is the guy simultaneously though. I think the, the work that you have been doing has been a lot looser and a lot less, like, I, I don't know if it's expectations that me and listeners putting on it, or maybe expectations that you are putting on like what you're making, but it seems like you're in this era where you're, you're, building, you had already built a world with your music, but you're, you're building out to the, like the edges of it now. And you're really exploring like what you laid down for the first, like, like said, 18 years of your career. Yes. That
2: I, and I'm glad to hear you're hearing some looseness in there. Cause I, I feel kind of loose, but I think that comes from like maturity and uh, like, I'm not, um, I've said this a million times, but I'll just keep quoting myself, which is like, I, I was I wouldn't say desperate to be understood for the first like when you're a young songwriter you're like you need to get this and like or or sort of get it in the way that uh like you when you're conveying your message you're like you have to understand this message exactly the way like i was intended and even if you're like i love this because of this and you're like no you're you're not you're not even liking it in the right way basically like i've come to terms with like i don't need to be understood Anymore, and then I think at the same time I'm better at being, uh making myself <laughs> understood too. So it's a very nice. I'm at a nice little convergence of those two things.
1: Well, well, there's a there's a neat trick, uh, and it's not really a trick on a, a river running to your heart. I think, uh, for me, I think you've always talked about locations, um, and you've always been kind of a in your songs whether or not you're the character that you're talking about or or it's just somebody you made up uh sort of a landing pad for somebody else like these relationships that you're building like it's it, it, they're supportive in a lot of your songs this album has a lot to do with uh home and a lot to do with coming home specifically in one of the songs um, and waking up in los angeles and I wonder where that is coming from, like very literally now when it's been like bubbling at the background, because you even say like, uh, we all want a home metaphorical or real. Yeah. You know, and, and so you're, you're kind of like, to me, it sounds like your point, you're sort of poking at your whole catalog being like, Hey, this is what I've been trying to say.
2: Yes, (laughs) I am. (laughs) And
1: (laughs) that's exactly, you just,
2: you, you answered it for me, but, um, yeah, I, um, and I think, I think, ba- like, the last few records, because, you know, you do, like, these, like, press, re- you, like, write these press releases for your records, and you're, like, like, Johnson experienced a breakup with a girlfriend, and he moved from Brooklyn to Chicago, and, like, and he made this record in, like, this studio, and it's kind of about blah, 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 and, and whatever, that's cool, and there's obviously great record like, the, um, and I, like at this point, I'm not. I I don't like sit down and say like, I'm. Exp- I, th- these are all like diary entries for me, and I think lately, I'm being like, what What are the things I'm interested in, and always have been? And then like these last few records, I'm like, taking like some of my own bigger themes that are always like sprinkled in there, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna like hyper focus on this, um, so that kind of like, I call it emotional geography. It's always been there um and now I'm like I have a lot of records, you know, so I can't I can't do the like press release uh single idea record anymore. Um that's well, I guess they kind of are, but yeah, it's more me doubling down on, on like a theme that I'm already interested in now and um and like exploring it. So yeah, yeah, it's it's maybe it's like weirdly self referential
1: or something too, but it, it seems a little bit like it uh, on this because uh, you also produced this record, right? Yes. Yeah. Was that, that was your first time producing? Um.
2: Yeah, it's my first. I mean, I did. I produced the, um, just sort of like by, by design the like Smashing Pumpkins cover album that I did, and uh, I've produced like other people's records too. But but this is this my first mm-hmm. like uh and and certain like Fruitbet singles and things like that? But like um, yeah, this is the first like official like. Uh, like concerted full length fruit bats uh record with me as
3: producer
1: when, when you're when you're using this kind of the emotional landscape and language of that, you know there are bands uh like whole city comes to mind that has all these recurring characters on that. do you view the songs that you have written, say in the first stage of your career? are they still around in this stuff? I don't know um.
2: I mean, I always kind of say it's a different band after the ruminant band, like in a, in a way of I I almost like wish that, <clears throat> and this is not putting myself down either, but like as a person that uses like a nom de plume, um, it's tricky. Like it's almost like I kind of wanted to like quote break up the band, um, after Spelled and Bones and sort of like start fresh, you know, and be like this is so yes and no like. Um, and sometimes when I listen back to the old stuff, I'm like, I think I was getting somewhere. I I was more interested in creating a vibe back then. And I, it was, it wasn't like as autobiographical, you know, I was, I was a little like unsure how to do that. And it might've also just been like a product of, uh, older indie rock times and like just the, uh, the style that I was sort of thought I was trying to emulate. So I kind of became like a more serious and, and Ruminant Band is kind of an oblique record too but it's like it, it almost feels like that should be the first one in some way even though I'm I play those old songs too um, but like as far as like the whole world of mine yeah I we've talked about this with my Bonnie Light Horseman band too about like traditional folk music and stuff and like songs that like sort of exist in like a cinematic universe you know so like we say songs you can walk from one to another and um yeah I want to try to do that now you know like with my own. It's sort of like how you have different, um, locations in your dreams that you come back to. Sometimes it's like your grandma's house or something like that. So like there's kind of rooms I can go back into and, and be like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that thing in there. So, um, yeah.
3: Well, you have such a, such an extensive, um, body of work now. I mean, we're talking, you know, over 20 years recording as, as fruit bats. And I think you said somewhere that Kind of consistent with what you're telling us now that when you look at or when you think about echolocation, it feels like that was a different person who recorded that.
0: Um, yes, or like absolutely. a different you.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now, and so, is it weird to sort of be um, uh, sort of stuck in this? You know, like here we are asking you to kind of dialogue with your former selves, and you're also trying to kind of push your own music forward. Does it feel Does it feel like baggage in any way? Is that kind of no? If anyone's lucky enough to be
2: able to like be a recording artist for 22 years it's like they're going to have to um be like oh yeah I was a different person I had a different style this is like very different you know 22 years ago so um and again like if you have let's say you have bands or something and you're like oh yeah that was my old band we broke up I was young you almost you can hide behind that a little bit but if you're a, a solo artist um like who just goes by your own name or something like that you're just you're always going to be you so um it's a, yeah it's a, like a i think you could you look at people songwriters catalogs in a different way if they like and that hence be really trying to do the name change at one point and that uh, was like it just was a um in a way it was just like a bad move career wise cuz it actually people forgot
1: about me <laughs> and uh well, yeah but 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 i mean but it led to like Better things, I think. Like, so we actually, we actually, I was talking about this with uh, Phil Cook. Um, We actually, I killed the old site that we were running in favor of this new thing. And there's not actually that much change. Yeah. Like, except for it's just me and Eduardo were the only ones doing it now. But it was very much like something about it just felt great. Not just right, it just felt great. And then it was like, oh shit, wait a minute. We have all this stuff. That we could have like been engaging with, and we're gonna lose that, but turns out for the best, I think.
2: No, the EDJ thing—it was weird, oddly inspiring too to kind of go back. I had to. um, It was humbling, like, and not again—not humbling in the sense, like, I'm talking in the in the sort of sense of like uh, being a moderate. It was humbling in the moderate indie rock success kind of way, which was like I, you know, had been in this mildly successful band before that Brute bats that was like did okay and at least had like a little bit of infrastructure and I lost all that with EDJ like like I didn't have a booking agent I didn't have a manager I didn't have anything and I was like um could barely even like get shows um I I always was kind of like and which is that's not the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone and uh, and right, it happens right. to a lot of people so um <laughs> And in a way I c- it was like a I re-entered like this kind of very boutique mindset with that and I was I was like living in Portland at the time I had really cheap rent and I was kind of like okay like I'm not I had the, like been in the shins you know before that and s- kind of seen the world and seen this like whole other crazy side and I was like maybe that's not going to happen to me you know and maybe I'm going to be like um like a guy in Portland Sort of like scaring up shows in cool spaces and just being, whatever. Um, and then, uh, but it was still hard. Like it, it was, it sucked. Not uh, it, after having gone through all that good stuff. Like just not even be able to get a show, or and when I did get shows, no one would show up either.
3: Well, and then on the on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, body light horseman was just instantly, maybe not instantly, but 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 very quickly met with just such, you know, widespread universal acclaim. It sort of shoots you into Grammy conversations and it's, you know, that, that, um, I think, I think you, you, you said somewhere that it felt like sort of being the prom queen or something like that. that <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it
2: was a new experience for me and it was, it's still like illuminating and, uh, yeah, then that sort of was coming on the heels of, of like this very pretty organic resurgence of fruit bats too which was like not prom queenish. It was more like I felt like my sort of old cult audience who had liked the, and I do call them a cult only because it was like, it was a pretty steadfast and small bunch of people, you know, for a really, really long time who kind of got it. And then kind of getting some like streaming success, signing a merge and making Gold Pass Life, which was like pretty breakthrough record. Like that all kind of weirdly converged and like the audiences went from like nothing or, or like really spotty to like pretty big. Um, so, but that, and that was like a different, where I was like after, you know, 18, 19 years that kind of came together. And Bonnie Light Horseman, yeah, it was like just cool to have a, and I think Josh and Nate and I, maybe we were kind of like all firing on all cylinders. Uh, it was, it was a moment of serendipity for all three of us, I think. Yeah. Did
1: that get started at, uh, Eau Claire? Is that is yeah that, am I remembering that right? That you were yeah, playing they Yeah,
2: they had, They had sort of asked, initially asked Josh and Anais to do something who had been kind of working on something, but they didn't know what it was. And then I got, I kind of, I came into the fold and yeah, that was our first
1: gig. So you're you're working with those two guys and like, how did that change your songwriting? Massively. Because I think when
2: you, when you have these like important, uh, you, you know, you only like every once in a while, it's just like with anything with work or with love or friendships like you have these kind of important people come along every few years or something or or even longer if you're if you're lucky every few years um and for me it was sort of like caliphone in my early times and shins it's like people that you collaborate with in a really deep way and you have a like a very loving friendship with too and then also you're just like they're geniuses and you get to um sort of watch them work and so it's also just like a a teacher that you have and then um you know i've uh josh and Anais are like amazing (laughs) so and i've like learned so much from them because josh as a producer is just like he's having a moment and also like is just a, um it's just like uh his style is so cool and like not like nothing i'd ever seen you know and kind of the world that he lives in too is like a I sort of know everybody at this point, but I there was like a kind of a New York world that I just meeting, you know, for the first time, and they didn't know who I was. Um, and then Aeneas is like, you know, one of the great storytellers and uh, like a like a songwriting, you know, titan. So uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I just yeah learned so much from both of them, and then yeah, it's. It kind of also like it just makes you scared <laughs> in a really good way where, <laughs> where you're like, I always said that, like with the Bonniewood Horseman record, too. And like even just the other collaborators on that, too, where I was just like, I don't want to like look like an asshole in this
1: room. I, got, I have to be like really, really good. So, um, yeah. Well, what do you think you've learned from I mean, they've learned from you. Like he, I'm, I'm sure if we ask them, they're going to say the same shit. They're going to be like, Dude, I would, "Yeah, we get no, that they would. Eric. Eric.
2: <laughs> they would, and they have. And also, it's sweet to hear, because we do interviews, the three of us, you know. So it's like so they're like uh, we're all kind of buttering each other up, but like in a in a pretty um, very uh, truthful way too. And um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that I did. And they they sort of you know they give me confidence too. So um, and like the fact that I'm the third person in their band is a really cool
1: thing. So, yeah. And Eric. there was a shift, I think between the first album and the second album where you guys concentrated more on like actually writing like, to like completely original stuff. Do I have that right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, in the first record was like, it was essentially like original spins on traditional music. And, um, yeah, the second one was, uh, much more original and now we're kind of like trying to figure out what we're doing for the third one, which is about to get started in a couple months from now.
3: You know, when it comes to, um, folk forms, I have this, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Eric, because I can't tell if it's a genuine paradox or if it's just really obvious, but, um, it, it seems like, um, you know, I was just thinking the other night about how, um, like kids here in DC are going out and dancing to like Cumbia music. Um, there are like Touareg guitarists. There's like three Touareg, you know, Saharan guitarists touring acts. There's all these sort of different ways in which folk forms are being um, kind of brought um, in in this authentic way. Like they're not being diluted. And it and it and it's it seems really interesting to me that it seems that it's the people who are not trying to disrupt a genre who are doing the most to move it forward. Does that make sense?
2: Y- yeah. That's no, that totally makes sense. Well, in A, I'm, I love the like proliferation of Touareg music too. Like that wouldn't yeah. have been on my like bingo card, yeah. but that's, those are like the, all the festival headliners now are, are like, I'm uh, seeing Latron yeah.
3: Dallaire tomorrow.
2: Yeah. And it's yeah. like, uh, the, I mean, that music's amazing too. I yeah. mean, and that's like, that's like such like the original rock music too. So it makes sense like where you're just like, no, that's like where it all comes from anyway. But then that's the totally updated future version. But Yeah, as far as like Bonnie Light Horseman goes, we, we, A, we've said this a million times, but it's not a research project, you know, like we're not, um, we're not writing a term paper on like British folk music, Um, that that music is durable, you know, it's unbreakable and, uh, and like, but also not like, we're gonna, again, it's like speaking of the kind of like press release albums, it's like, it was like, they took a traditional music but then did it all electronic or what like we didn't have like a mandate also where we're like we're gonna turn it on its ear and um we were just gonna sort of like interpret it in a pretty personal way you know and um i think that first record was like such a a big one uh, because i think uh it was a it was like it came out at a time when i think people needed to like a good cry (laughs) or something (laughs) but it was also like um like, this really traditional music, th- and everyone realized, like, we've all felt the same way forever, like, as humans, like, we sort of have had the same experiences, like, through centuries, so, and, like, I think that was, like, if we did anything right, we found the right, we dug up the right songs that, like, felt truly timeless, you know, it wasn't just about, like, some Laird um, <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Well, I love that because it sort of applies to me that, you know, as much as you try to sort of make yourself invisible or disappear into the music, you know, you can't help but put in something of your own, right? Even even trying to be kind of an ego-less interpreter of it, you're st- is, that's still an act of creation, right? Absolutely, yeah. Of, yeah.
0: And
2: it felt like it was, yeah. Very cool.
1: What um do you see your music as fruit bats as a new kind of folk?
2: Not really. I mean, I don't. I don't even know anymore. And it's it's almost like related to the like. I don't care about being understood anymore. Like I don't really care about being like having, uh, like when people would get really uptight about like labels or something of like a like labeling a genre. I'm like, whatever. I don't really care. Like what you think this is exactly. There was, yeah,
1: yeah. In the in like the. Early aughts, maybe 2010, there was this like vibe going around and people were calling it like weird Americana. Yeah. And, and I know, and um, like uh, Blitz and Trapper was in there, you were in there. Um, there were a bunch of bands in there, I, I think. Uh, that was that. I almost like that better in like the later aughts
2: because I always say like the, um, in the early aughts when I was uh, like sort of on early sub pop and it, it was sort of like the weird sort of starting days of like the, like, indie rock blitzkrieg you know like when it all started and and like when and again i was probably having a hard time expressing myself too and like sort of uh i was still learning how to like make records you know i always say it was like a miracle that i even got signed there should have been like i should have been in the the uh like in baseball terminology i was like still playing single a baseball and I got sent to the majors, (laughs) you know, like, uh, so, and they were just kind of like, Oh, it's like indie pop or something. And, and then I think if you saw those words and you're like, I'll check this band out. And you were like, say like a death cab fan or, or like a modest mouse fan, you'd probably be like, I don't like this really. Like it was like probably too quiet and too slight. Um, for those audiences, and then I got a little bit better at hitting a little harder, and then yeah, again those aforementioned the Blitz and Trappers and the Fleet Foxes and Bediver and uh, band, all friends of mine, you know, we were all kind of like, and by, so by like that 2009, I was like, oh, that's like, I think that's more me, and then I was yeah, that that was like an important, that was why Ruminant Band felt like an important uh, moment for me where I was kind of like, I think I have like a like an actual like community now too, not and not that I didn't in the early two thousands. I was just like, again, I I was like being invited on tours with, with bands like shins and modest mouse and stuff. But like the, those audiences were not like interested in what I was doing on the whole, I think very small amounts of them were, but
1: yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the siloing of audiences is always interesting. I don't know if it's gotten worse or better these days where you can, but I think it's better uh, I
2: think I think actually like yeah I think indie rock fans are more open minded to like the the younger generations are like sort of more interested in in like different flavors you know Oh, younger kids want everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, and I, I love Modest Mouse. I loved touring with Modest Mouse. It was like amazing seeing mm-hmm. them every night, but their audience is just, they probably wanted to hear something that sounded like Modest Mouse, you know, opening for them, yeah. and Modest Mouse had us because they liked our music, so, but your your fans aren't always gonna like what you like.
1: No, no. Um, were you gonna say something? No. or not. Oh, oh. Uh. You know, one thing about your records that I've realized over the years in listening to these, especially from starting with the Merge records, it's gotten it's gotten worse, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you, on record, have this very, like, laid-back feeling, and and you, you, you set a listener up, and you're laid-back, it's pleasing, you're like, all right, this is good. I, I don't want to use the word sunny, but... That's sort of how your voice works, and then you hit a listener with like these just emotionally devastating songs that are are some of them are like joyful, but you just out of nowhere, if you were just casually listening, you'd be like, okay, 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 whatever, and then you hear it, you really dig in and listen to it, and it's like, ah, oh, fuck, <laughs> like this is, and like for me. Right when we moved to Wisconsin, Gold Past Life" uh, came out, and I was walking around Humboldt Park here in Milwaukee. Uh, the song "In Lingering Love," like if you just hear that, it seems like a very happy song, and then you listen to it, and it—I mean, it is, but in a very dark way. Is that—is that something you'd like to deploy? Yes, yeah. mission accomplished. <laughs> that's that's yeah. That is that's because my because it's, it's kind of evil, but it's it's fantastic.
2: Um, I mean, I've always loved the happy sad uh, sort of dichotomy. And again, like as a younger writer, I think I wanted to do that, and I I didn't. I just wasn't. Sk- I and I feel like I just am slagging on my younger self on this whole interview. But like, uh, I wasn't skilled enough to know how to do that. So I I think I got a lot of and that was like used to annoy me as the, like, oh, this, this music is trifling or something like, um, like, because, and I think a it's, there is a natural quality in my voice that I can't help that has some kind of like softness, but uh, yet loudness <laughs> as well. Um, that is like naturally kind of makes things happy, but I, uh, I'm a person with a lot of feelings, you know, and I'm a complicated singer songwriter type. And, uh, I have a lot of things to say. Um, so yeah, I think I've gotten better, but also I, I like leaning into the kind of happy sound now to basically exactly what you said. <laughs> like I, I, I sort of want that moment of discovery where they're like, wow, that's, that's really sad <laughs> too. Yeah, so, it, it, it really, yeah. when it hits
1: and there's usually there's just one or two songs where it's just really like more prominent than the rest on, on the new one, the song, it all comes back just hits because of, I think what we all went through. And may, tell me if I'm interpreting this right, but you you think it's just a, and this is I think a common theme where you're like reaching out a hand to a friend in your songs or your your character is, but then it, you realize that person isn't here anymore. Yeah, and it's just like it it just punches you. It like today I was like sitting in the coffee shop listening to it. And I'm like, God, man, come on, <laughs> I can't I can't start crying in the coffee shop. <laughs>
2: Yeah. That one was meant for maximum tears for sure. Um, and I didn't even really know what that one was all about when I first, uh, started it. That one. I, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I usually don't anyway, but that, that was like, uh, that was just sort of like, a. um, there was just some lines that, that kind of tumbled out, which was like the, we, we lost some time. Like it, it all comes back line. I was like, I'm not really sure what this all means yet. So, um, but, uh, yeah the i like i i actually was chatting with will chef uh from who's uh ockerville river and and now actually going by will chef um but he's like he's like the opposite of me like where he could write the like the most major key sunny song everyone always thinks his music is really depressing and uh, like we were like we're like the inverse of each other so <laughs> right
1: um, <laughs> well you know you you do come off as hopeful in like most of your work. I mean, do you consider yourself like hopeful is like, what, what's the, I've been asking people a lot of times, like about singing, how it's just a very weird way to communicate. If you think about it. Bizarre. Um, Yeah. Right. And, um, so you have to really have a point like that you want to get across that you feel you can't like get across. So, for you, like, is it that you're hopeful and you want other people to have hope too, or is it just like I just want to make you cry? <laughs> I mean, I don't know.
2: It's like I don't know if there's like could possibly be a specific type of person that like literally wakes up every morning feeling hopeful. You know, like right, um, right, right, right. I am. I can tap into hope uh, sometimes, and sometimes I can't. You know, so it's yeah. That's that's like um. You would have to be like, like a spiritual mastermind to be like, like my number one trait is that I'm hopeful at all times. (laughs) Like I'm not (laughs) so, um, yeah. So, and again, that's like part, I guess part of the, so maybe I'm like, I can tap into that part of the time when I'm writing and then not, and sometimes it's within a song. It's like there are moments of, of total despair and, and like moments of hope,
1: but, um, that's not engineered at all. Right, um, and, that, and, yeah. and and that, and that's what I think is like because it just seems like you're always you do skew towards that. Yeah, it's if, like if, if, if the
2: yeah, it's like how comedians often say like they they're like I mean comedians are always really depressed, uh, not always, but a lot of times, and that that the comedy for them is like, and especially like the rhythm of comedy is like a self-soothing device or something, and like that's for me, songwriting is a little bit like that. So like when you hear these happy, soothing things, it, it's me sort of fighting with the sadder side of myself so um but like kind of kind of, ha- like letting us have like a laugh and a cry together or something by
3: the, by the time you get to the demo stage with a song do you already know what its mood is like do you already sort of have that locked down or can the song still surprise you at that point
2: not every time i it's different every time but for me um writing and demoing and recording a song are sort of all interwoven with each other too. So like I sort of write the demoing pride, the demo process is kind of the writing process. And then usually that's like launching the recording process as well. So, um, no, sometimes I don't even know what it is until like I go into the vocal booth, you know, and start changing things up. So, but, and then sometimes I totally do. So yeah, there's not like a, there's not a, um, I don't have like a, a mandate of like having to have the feeling before it comes out. Sometimes it's, they're a little weirder than that.
3: And at, and at that point, when you're sort of mixing things up in the vocal booth, are you, are you still kind of playing around with, with words and sort of fully formed clauses in the song? Or are you just sort of playing yeah. with intonation? Yeah, Not,
2: not, maybe not fully formed, but like I do, I love to change a word because the thing that I have found, and when you've toured for a really long time is like when you go and play songs live and especially ones that you've played like a really long time live you're like man you come up with a better thing like a line or a Mm -hmm. um there's like a few songs like that I just like fully sing a different line now that I'm just like I I think like I feel like the Grateful Dead did I'm sure Dylan does that um and not to put myself in their category but like yeah like I um so I I, yeah I want to get you you just want to like because recording a song it's like and it's fun to record one that's super brand new too. Sometimes, but I'm like,
1: I want them to be as lived in as possible. Like when I'm recording them, you too just did that on their new album. Uh, album, it was like the Edge Experience or something. Like he he was bored in the pandemic and said, "I'm gonna rework all our stuff," and then they changed some lyrics and yeah. and people are like having weird reactions to them because these are songs that have been part of people's lives for you know almost fifty years. Yeah, in some case cases. Um, speaking of the Grateful Dead, you know, you've played on a few compilations and I feel like you're one of these artists that really sort of got the message and is carrying it forward. Like how influential is are they as like lyricists, obviously like Robert Hunter or just as players on like your writing? I got, so I've got to do like a three night stand with Phil Lesh and friends.
2: I think it was right. two years ago. It was either last year or two years, I don't know. It's all a blur, but like, um, not too long ago. And and it was like, you know, and I was like, I was like, I'm gonna play guitar. like, I wanna actually like play rhythm, like sort of Bob Weir style rhythm guitar on this stuff. Like I I don't take guitar solos or anything like that. But I was like, I didn't wanna just go and sing even though I think I kind of had that option, like if I wanted to, and I wanted to play on every single song. And I wasn't, I was singing lead vocal on like uh, a huge amount of them mm-hmm. too. But I had to learn, um, man, like, I don't know, 40 songs, maybe <laughs> more. Um, and, uh, and, re- and it was like all songs I knew or thought I knew like pretty implicitly. And, uh, but I had to really like dive into them. But yeah, I mean, cause the dead basically, you know, they, they in a way like you, if you get into the dead when you're in high school and you're like, I'm gonna be in a band, like you maybe become a jam band. Like, um and I couldn't do that. I like couldn't play like that. Like so um I had to become like an indie rock person because that was like uh that was like the I could do that. You know, you didn't you could have rudimentary skill. It was like um so now like going back and learning and having more skill as a player, I'm like, um these are just great pop songs, which I don't think people think of the Grateful Dead as like a great pop band, you know? Um, and that's like what I took from them. And obviously it's like, it's amazing lyrics. I think people, um, if you don't know the dead, you don't know that. Like you probably think the lyrics are all just like about like acid rainbows and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're not, they're like awesome. And it's like this, um, and it talk about a cinematic universe. It's like the, the sort of like Hunter- like western verse of like Jack Straw and this kind of like weird old America stuff and these, these like westerns and and then like Weir and Barlow's stuff um yeah i mean it's like it's an insane catalog that i think people are very distracted by deadheads and uh bumper stickers and things like that but um ultimately a great pop band i got to sing touch of gray at that thing i tr- oh, nice. i wanted to and um a touch of gray Totally sounds like a kink song. Like it sounds like an eighties kink song if you actually like learn it. It sounds like it could have been on like come dancing or something like that. Even has like a Ray Davies like lyric style to it a little bit. But um and I mentioned that just because that was like, you know, their one radio hit. But I'm like, what a great pop band with like great songs with amazing structures and like killer choruses and stuff. It's which is not something that you equate with like a a lumbering jam band. So that that was like Anyways, that was my takeaway, and that's like what I realized after the fact where I'm like, Grateful Dead and Led Zeppelin being my two big high school influences, I think are like um, forgotten as like bands that wrote catchy
1: um, connective pop music. Right, right. Because as as weird as a song can get, like if it's a pop song, people are going to really latch into it. Yeah. I, I, I think. And there's a lot of stuff that people... The inverse, I think, is true often where people are like, oh, this is like on the fringes of stuff. I'm like, no, it's just a pop song. And that's okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. Yeah. The, the, the fun stuff with The Dead, we did a whole other series uh, where we went through all the albums of The Dead. And I hadn't done that in years. And like you said, getting into like that these are pop songs, that these are just really tight pop songs. They tell a story. But in doing that, like I said, it reminded me of your catalog and but the world that you created, kind of by yourself, and that and that's why I mean I I know you you're a fan of the dead, but that's why I was asking like if like how that influenced you because there's definitely you can see the parallels to like their world and your world, um, and maybe. Yours is a little maybe more post-apocalyptic in some cases. <laughs> um, you know, theirs is the old west and yours is like the future west, maybe.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. Like, it's just the the pop thing. I think there's like, there's a certain connectivity in it and sort of like an interest in, because um, they were an indie rock band pretty much. So like when I got yeah. into indie rock and like, I was like, that's sort of still the same template, which is like get in a van and go do stuff, you know? Um, so there was a certain, a bit of an ethos to that, like, and obviously they became a huge, huge band. So it wasn't like they stayed that way, but like, um, yeah, there was like the, the, both the grateful dead and indie rock had like sort of a, anything is possible, um, aspect to it that I liked because I was like, by the time I started doing this, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to do anything else. So I better get good at it.
1: Um, uh, as we start to wrap this up, uh, you know, we all, you, you've been back touring now, uh, obviously that had an impact the past few years, the pandemic and stuff, but one thing you did and, and for my radar was one of the first was doing, uh, streaming concerts. Was that an immediate, like you needed, you, you were like, I have to do this. As soon as we all locked down or was it like, oh, maybe, maybe I should do this. And like, was that... No, I didn't like doing them. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I didn't. I don't think I did that many of them either. Um, Yeah, you did a few, but the first one you did was like, I think right after the lockdown. And like, we watched it on our front steps and it was like, it was fantastic. It was like, all right, I guess eric's doing the shit so let's let's yeah it felt very
2: emotional that one i remember that one like it was weird and like felt super emotional and like um but i was like i didn't really like it you know like because and not and because some people like they just still do it now like with the instagram live and everything and you're i'm just like okay cool like have at it like and i'm (laughs) sure i i just didn't because i Call me old fashioned, but I, I I definitely like, like breathing in a room with people. And like, I have, I have a lot of sort of like, as I've again, gotten like more advanced into like doing this stuff, I have all kinds of like, like methods and theories of like playing live and like what, what it does for me. And like, like the, just having an audience in the room is like very important, even if it's two people, you know? So, um yeah and it was it's very weird having like the like scrolling comments and stuff like super distracting yeah. like and like they kind of think you're like like asking you things where you're like, do you think I can answer you? I'm
1: <laughs> in the middle of singing a song um yeah all right yeah. um so you've got uh, a a river running to your heart coming out when is that April fourteenth I don't know fourteenth <laughs> yeah, 14th, yeah. Yeah, okay, it, yeah. It's yeah. coming out soon. You, yeah. it seems like, are going to be on a forever tour.
2: <laughs> that it's that? less of a forever tour than last year, which was 113 shows, the Jeez, most damn. I've ever played. Um, this is it's a, a fairly substantial two month ish tour with some breaks. Um, yeah, of like the whole country.
1: Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And a little bit of Canada. Yeah. And then new Bond and Light Horseman album, and then just keep on rolling.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We're just starting to work on the new Bonnie and Horseman record. So that's like, that's very TBD at this point, but like haven't even really written any songs yet.
1: Okay. All right. Thanks for talking, dude. Uh, it was good to chat again after nine years, I guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Let's do it again <laughs>
2: sooner. And I'll definitely yeah, do, uh, the, do the, I'll talk
1: Grateful Dead with you anytime. That could, that's definitely a whole pod for me. It is because I don't, I don't know if people realize how influential without a Net was for a lot of people. Yeah. Like that live, that live album was just man and that was like
2: my era of hearing the dead too so yeah. and I, I've got sort of a lot to say about that too so
1: yeah, yeah. we'll get into yeah. it yeah yeah, awesome dude uh, yeah. alright okay there was a ripple in the air you into the room but right then
2: I could tell
0: Wasn't that fun listener, Eric Johnson, rad dude who makes rad music? Sometimes you humans really do get it right. I mean, that isn't going to stop the coming AI apocalypse we have planned for you. But maybe we'll feel a little bad about it. Or not. Anywho, Eduardo and Kevin will be back soon to talk about new music you are going to love. Thank you for listening.
3: The scholars, the scholars.